Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. Just in time for the holidays, President Biden moves to save pensions for the Teamsters. And today on the show, Ohio Senator Sherrod Brown, the president of the News Guild, and labor lawyer Joyce Goldstein on a win regarding arbitration. Welcome to the Friday, December 9th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. We have three guests on the show today. We are standing firm for a call from Washington from Senator Sherrod Brown, longtime contributor to America's workforce. He's going to touch on what happened in Georgia this week. Big win for the Democrats. They'll have uh, 51 seats in the Senate. We're also going to zero in on the child tax credit. Now, this week, the senator held a press conference with a group called Moms Rising to push Congress to extend the child tax credit. The senator helped write and pass the American Rescue Plan with benefits for the child tax credit, which has helped a whole lot of working families. He'll explain what's going on there. Also, the unlevel playing field between the United States and China still very much with us following an investigation by the Department of Commerce, that four leading Chinese solar cell manufacturers circumvented U.S. tariffs. Senator Brown has called on his colleagues to pass his legislation to help Ohio manufacturers and their workers fight back against unfair competition. You know this has been going on for a long, long time. Legislation is called Leveling the Playing Field 2.0. He'll talk about that. Also, we're in crunch time here with the National Labor Relations Board. We've been hitting this topic pretty heavy here on the show. Right now, the funding for the NLRB is at a crisis stage. It's the same funding going back to uh, 2014, which means they're working, you know, factor in inflation they're trying to navigate through a budget and they're at the point where they may have to furlough workers. That's how bad it is at the national labor relations board. So Senator Brown on the side of workers on that one, John Schloys will be joining us as our second guest. Now, John is president of the uh, news guild, which is part of the communication workers of America. In fact, he, uh, his background is quite fascinating. He is a data and graphics journalist. He did that at the L.A. Times, and he organized the L.A. Times back in 2018, ran for president for the News Guild in 2019, and he's in that position ever since. He also serves on the executive board of the CWA. We got a lot going on with uh, journalists. First of all, we got strike action. I talked about this yesterday. New York Times, there was a one-day strike yesterday, 1,100 workers off the job, For 24 hours, withholding their labor, pushing the company to raise the salary floor and keep up with inflation. Now, this is a huge newspaper. When you say New York Times, everybody knows exactly what you're talking about here. Very profitable, but that money is not going to the workers. Also, strike in Pittsburgh. They've been on strike 
for, my gosh, it's like a month and a half over there. And get this. One of the owners of the newspaper hit a rep with a bag of fast food after the rep asked why he wouldn't negotiate with workers. (laughs) Crazy situation there. And then in uh, Fort Worth, Texas, there's a strike going on for two weeks. First strike there. Journalists. This is uh, the uh, Fort Worth Star-Telegram. The uh, journalists unionized two years ago in management. Well, they're just slow coming to the uh, bargaining table. And they hired a union-busting firm, Jones Day. Jones Day is based in Cleveland, Ohio, and they have a long history of being on the other side of workers. In fact, this is the law firm that uh, provided lawyers for Donald Trump when he was in office. Amazing, amazing. The other story we're going to get into, this is is kind of chilling, really. There is a judge that was appointed by Trump some years ago that made a horrible ruling recently, and this has to do with pretty much uh, First Amendment rights. The National Labor Relations Board asked a federal court to stop Starbucks' illegal actions preventing workers from organizing a union. You know, it's been going on for months now. Well, this judge apparently said, I want you to release all the communications that the union had with the media. Now, that's supposed to be protected. John is very, very outspoken on this issue. He said, allowing employers to subpoena communications between journalists and working people who seek a voice on the job who exercise their right to engage in collective action will inevitably chill the rights of both the journalists and the workers. (sighs) Lots to talk about with John Schloys. And lastly, we'll check in with uh, Joyce Goldstein. Joyce, longtime supporter of America's workforce, uh, 40 years working in labor, working with a number of unions, did a lot with the trades over the years. There was a case recently before the Supreme Court of Ohio, and it was a four to three decision, and the worker won in this case. And essentially, it was about an employee who was injured on the job. This employee lost four fingers while trying to repair a malfunctioning grinder machine. He alleged that the company removed an electronic safety mechanism that would shut off the grinder when it was disassembled. Well, while he was working on the grinder, his supervisor intentionally and without warning activated the machine. It didn't have the safety device. And he lost four fingers. Well, it went to uh, arbitration. And apparently, the court ruled the injured employee does not have to go through arbitration before suing his employer according to the Supreme Court ruling. I'll tell you, arbitration is a dirty word because more often than not, the person running the arbitration is picked by the employer and it has gone against the workers. You can do some checking on yourself regarding that. And uh, Joyce knows that all too well. I mean, she's been in many of these cases, so she was pretty surprised by the Supreme Court. But again, elections matter. Um, There was a swing vote on the Supreme Court, and that swing vote 
went to the side of the worker who lost four fingers. All right, now a brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management. Nearly 350,000 retired union workers and their families finally will see the rescue of their financially troubled pension plan in what is being called the biggest bailout of such a fund in U.S. history. Announcement came down yesterday from the White House that it was awarding $35.8 billion to the Central States Pension Fund, which provides benefits primarily to retired Teamsters and their families who had fought for nearly a decade to save that fund. Boy, this was a struggle, real struggle here. The money is from the American Rescue Plan, better known for providing $1,400 paychecks for people. Well, they not really paychecks, but you got those bonuses in the mail, courtesy of the federal government while the pandemic was in full swing. Well, the act included money to shore up the finances of what are called multi-employer pension plans, which are pension plans operated jointly by unions and employers. There's about 1,400, that's right, 1,400 such plans around the country. They cover over 11 million workers and retirees in industries ranging from trucking to construction to other union jobs. Most, most of those plans, they're in pretty good shape. But out of that 1,400, about 200 were on the track of becoming insolvent or close to it. Central states retirees have pushed for years. They held rallies visited lawmakers in Columbus, Ohio, Washington. Ohio had about 40,000 of those Teamsters. They're one of the uh, states. Let's see, got a rundown here. Michigan also 40,000. Missouri 28,000. Illinois 25,000. Texas 22,000. Tennessee 14,000 workers and retirees. Altogether, I mean, we're talking a lot of people that are going to see their see their pensions now as a result of what Joe Biden did yesterday. The bailout is expected to allow central states to continue paying all benefits, all of them, through at least 2051. One of the retirees is speaking out about what happened yesterday, and that would be Whitlow Wyatt. Whitlow is 78. He lives in Washington Courthouse, which is about an hour out of Cincinnati. He said, I feel like it's a holiday president, a very wonderful holiday president. At one time, Wyatt was looking at a potential cut of about two-thirds of his pension benefit because of what was going on with the Central States Pension Fund. He said it would have been a real travesty if it had gone the other way. He credited politicians and retirees with driving the fund's rescue, and he said they just worked hard to get it through. It seemed like an impossible task, but it uh, it has happened. By the way, the uh, Central States Fund is the 37th to be approved for funding by the White House. Before Central States, the two biggest rescues were for just more than $1 billion. Fixing Central States is expected to take up more than a third of the total estimated bailout costs of the troubled retirement plans of $74 billion to ninety-one billion dollars so again a lot of people especially the teamsters breathing a sigh of relief today let's go to washington right now and join one of my favorite guests one of the longest serving guests on america's workforce i might add 
and that would be Senator Sherrod Brown. Senator, welcome back to this interesting week here. Little little uh, excitement in Georgia this week. You know, I think Georgia is more blue than Ohio. <laughs> what do you think right now? Yeah, I, I think there's there's no question of that. They got two Democratic senators. They're they're winning elections. They, you know, they're they're talking to voters. They're talking about the child tax credit. They're talking about um, what we need to do to to create jobs and create good union jobs and. Uh, we don't have in Ohio where it's just not working well enough yet, but it's going to in the future again. I hear you. So with the, with the 51 Democrat, how does that change? And how does that affect you in any way in, in the Senate? Well, I chair the banking housing committee. It, it used to be referred to as just the banking committee. It was the wall street committee. And we have in the last two years, just flipped that. It's all about housing. It's all about uh, making sure people have opportunity. It's about RTA, public transit. We oversee that. Uh, Senator Warnock is on that committee. We now have a will now have a one vote majority on that committee, uh, which doesn't isn't isn't a big deal except the twelve twelve tie with Republicans. They just always stood in the way of things and blocked things. And so we'll just be a little more efficient, and we're going to pass things that that matter. And one of my top priorities, as we've talked on this show forever, is child tax credit protecting the right to organize. One of the most important things we need to do now is, is fund the National Labor Relations Board. I met yesterday with Liz Schuler, the head of the, the, the American AFL-CIO, the, 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 the top labor person in the country, about um, protecting the right to organize. That's got to be on the agenda, and we got to keep pushing it, because if we have more people that carry union cards, we have a better country, a stronger middle class. That's what this show is all about, and you know that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Trade adjustment assistance. I know you're on top of that. Any any movement there? Yeah. Two, two things we really talked about yesterday, in addition to protecting the right to organize, fund, funding the NLRB, because um, we have new members on the National Labor Relations Board now. We have a majority of, of pro-union members, uh, as opposed to in the Trump years, pro-corporate America members, and nothing good happened. The problem is they don't have enough money to do what they need to do. So everything is way, way, way too slow when somebody's trying to organize a drive at Starbucks or at a, at a manufacturing company, whatever they go, the, the management tries to block it. They go to the NLRB and it takes forever and you lose too often because right. that's, that's the whole point that management does is slow walk things and union members, potential union members kind of give up or look for other jobs or whatever. Um, and trade adjustment is the same thing. We've got to fund, we've got to reauthorize it and fund it. Those were really the two priorities, a group of us with several leaders of the labor movement, Liz, and the head of the teachers union and, C- and, and, and um, UFCW, and, and, and AFSCME from Cleveland. Uh, Lee Saunders is a Clevelander, the head of AFSCME nationally, um, talked about that, that we've got to fund trade adjustment assistance and we've got to get National Labor Relations more moving, more, more agilely, if you will, so we can get stuff done. You mentioned the child tax credit. I want to pick up on that because I thought that was taken care of in the American Rescue Plan. Can you can you explain what's going on here? Yeah, uh, we passed it by one vote. It was something I'd worked on for 10 years. It was the most important thing, personally, I think I've ever done in public office because it dropped the poverty rate by 40% within six months. Uh, the problem, it was it was for one year, and one, it passed 51-50 with the vice president. Every Democrat was for it, every Republican 
and voted no twice. Uh, unfortunately, one of the Democrats of the 50 changed his mind a year later in trying to renew it. And it's, so it's, it's not the law now. The expansion's not the law. It still exists in a smaller form that doesn't nearly reach everybody. I mean, this, this, is, this was money in the pockets of the families of 2 million Ohio children. 90% of kids under 18 qualified for this. Um, it, it, it really, imagine if it were in effect now, how it would, it would blunt so much of the problems brought on by inflation. So families would have that extra 250 or $300 per child. So we are saying now at the end of the year, corporations are begging for this, for renewal of their tax breaks, like the R&D tax credit, other things. And some of those things I agree with, some I don't, but we're saying I'm leading a group and Schumer's on board and others saying, uh, no, you're not going to, we're not doing any of that unless you renew the child tax credit. So that's, that's the showdown. I don't know what's going to happen, but we're not giving in on no more corporate tax breaks until you do child tax credit, period. One more issue here, Senator China. And uh, China has been cheating us for a long time. And this specifically deals with solar cell manufacturers there that kind of uh, circumvented the tariffs. Uh, this is this is part of a bigger discussion, and I guess there's some legislation that would pretty much level the playing field when it comes to China. Can you tell us where we are with this? Yeah, we need we need the um, uh, we need enforcement of these solar tariffs. Period. And uh, that that uh, it's, it's you're right. It's been around. It's the same old story. Ohio is the number one solar manufacturer in the country now. We we do more than any other state, especially Northwest Ohio. Uh, the Toledo Blade the other day, a generally conservative not always pro-union paper, usually not called for the enforcement of these solar tariffs. Uh, Marcy Captors has been has been pushing hard. I'm joining her. Uh, the president um, should rescind the emergency proclamation that avoids imposing duties on these companies. All options need to be on the table because China continues to cheat, and we've got to stand up to them, period. All right, Senator, we'll leave it on that note. You take care. Hey, best of the holiday to you. We'll talk to you in the new year, okay? We'll talk to you in January. Thanks, buddy. A true fighter for workers, no doubt about that, Senator Sherrod Brown. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, John Schloiss on behalf of the News Guild. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The United Auto Workers are one of the largest and most diverse unions in North America, with members in virtually every sector of the economy. Learn more about this proud sponsor of our program at UAW.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the U.S., US Canada, Canada, and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steel workers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. Union members need to be heard. Reliable and convenient union voting has never been more important than it is now. Make voting easy for your membership by working with survey and ballot systems. 
SPS offers encrypted and monitored solutions that ensure your elections are accurate and accessible for every member through mail-in, online, and in-person voting. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com and take the next step in getting secure and auditable elections. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency. You can find more at ulagency.org. Let's go to uh, New York right now. And joining us on line number two is Mr. John Schloys, no stranger to America's workforce. He's a fighter, he's been on a number of times. He uh, organized workers at the L.A. Times and found his way to head the News Guild. And he's had that uh, position for the last three years. He's also on the executive board of the Communication Workers of America, which is the parent union of the News Guild. This guy's doing a whole lot of organizing, and he's also helping workers on the picket line. The big story yesterday was a one-day strike at the New York Times, 1,100 workers off the job for 24 hours. John Schloes, welcome back to America's Workforce. I have to ask you, why one day? I, I, this is an interesting strategy. Can you explain to our listeners what uh, what this was all about? Well, thanks so much for having me, Flash. I So one day uh, is something that we have been cultivating and working on for the last few years. And I have to give credit to our folks here at the News Guild of New York for building out the strategy uh, from a member rank and file level and then changing the way that we handle bargaining, particularly for first contracts. But we've we've started doing these one-day or short work stoppages. Uh, Sometimes it'll be two or three days. Um, But we started doing them to pretty good success, Um, basically showing the company, you know, when we say we're going to go out on strike, we mean we're going to go out on strike. So it's part of a, a strategy to make us ready to go on strike and, and make our union a striking union. We hadn't had a lot of strike activity for about 20 years. But then in the last two years, we escalated to strike votes and some one day, some, some little bit longer strikes at places like the New Yorker magazine at BuzzFeed News. Uh, we did this down at the Miami Herald uh, in April. And then uh, a month or two after that at the Allentown Morning Call in eastern Pennsylvania, uh, so doing a one-day strike, uh, oh, and we did that at Reuters just a month ago. Doing a one-day strike has shown very clearly to management, hey, when we're ready to walk, we'll walk. And if you want us to go out longer, <laughs> we'll be prepared. So in this situation, the workers are trying to get, obviously, I mean, it's it's in New York. They're working in New York. It's pricey to live in New York. They're trying to get better wages. And I guess the company is just not budging on anything. And they're very profitable, right? Oh, my God. You know, (laughs) the New York Times is extremely profitable right now. They have hundreds of millions of dollars in cash on hand. They are paying their executives, including their director of HR, you know, more than a million dollars. In some cases, some people are getting millions of dollars a year. They're doing stock dividend payments out to shareholders. I mean, they have money coming out of their ears. And what we're asking for is uh, a basic living wage, uh, because we represent not only the journalists at the New York Times, but we represent the security guards and other support staffers all throughout the the building, including editorial assistants. And they should be paid enough to actually live in New York City if they're working in New York City. The other thing we're fighting back is the two-tier system, which we've seen spring up in tons of companies, whether it's John Deere or UPS. Uh, The New York Times is also trying to create two-tier 
uh, workforce systems and pay, payment systems. So where do we go from here? I mean, obviously, this uh, rattled the cage a bit. Uh, hopefully, they'll, they'll start seeing the light of day. What, what are you hearing right now from, uh, from the team over there? So uh, for, for everyone who works at the New York Times, they're just feeling really excited. Uh, this is the first work stoppage at the New York Times uh, since the 1970s. So it's extremely historic that we have uh, a one-day strike at the New York Times, and, and it just energizes people. When they, they come together on the sidewalk, we had about five or 600 folks crammed in front of the New York Times building, which has scaffolding, <laughs> like all in by the front door. So we're uh-huh. kind of underneath the scaffolding. We've got a scabby the rat, like, propped up. We've got um, a podium with, like, a back screen. And just, you know, five, 600 people just crammed underneath the scaffolding right there in front of the New York Times, trying to, you know, not block the sidewalk completely, but making it just a huge, <laughs> impressive crowd. Um, and, uh, and, and it was so good for folks to see each other uh, and, meet their, and meet their colleagues or see their colleagues for the first time, you know, if they hadn't seen them yet because of the start of the pandemic. So for us, we, we built a huge amount of solidarity. We had other supporters from the Teamsters, uh, other parts of CWA coming out, uh, SEIU coming out and supporting us, which was amazing. And then, uh, you know, the, what's, what's clear for the company is that they've got a big problem on their head. They, they had a media fiasco. They were unable to properly report the news in the way that the New York Times does because it covers, uh, you know, hundreds of stories every single day. Right. Uh, they, they looked embarrassing uh, publicly because every other media outlet was covering them. Um, and so they've really got to move. Uh, and, I, you know, and if they don't, then this escalates to something larger, maybe, maybe an ongoing yeah. open-ended strike. It's funny you mentioned Scabby the Rat because uh, <laughs> Scabby the Rat's been in the news over the years, too, because I know that became a court battle, and Scabby won that one a couple of years ago. But it does yep. get – Scabby gets a lot of attention, no doubt about that, on a picket line. Okay, let's move to Pittsburgh. How long is that strike in Pittsburgh now? That's the Post-Gazette, right? Yep, so we've been out at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Uh, for, for some of the folks that are working in uh, CWA and uh, are members of CWA and the Teamsters, they've been out since early October. The News Guild uh, folks in the newsroom joined them uh, a little bit after that. So it's been going on for about two months now, uh, and it's a really hard fight. You know, the issues are actually very simple and very inexpensive for the company to solve, and it really comes down to having affordable health insurance. Uh, the company... Uh, canceled the health insurance for some of these workers who uh, have been there for decades uh, by insisting that the premium increases 100% be offloaded to uh, the workers and that the workers actually move over to a plan that uh, they have no power to negotiate over, uh, just essentially raising their, their health care costs uh, to unaffordable rates. That's really the, the, the main issue there. Uh, we're also trying to go back to a contract that the company legally imposed on us um, back in, well, it was two, two years ago in 2020, and we, NLRB even sided with us on that as an illegal imposition. Uh, but it's really, we're talking about forty-five dollars to $50,000 in total premium increases for this year, and the company instead is spending hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars on union-busting lawyers. Amazing. That's the paper, too, that endorsed Dr. Oz during their Senate campaign, isn't it? Yeah, and, and <laughs> to make it really clear... The rank-and-file workers at these publications are not the ones who make endorsement decisions. Those come from the boss, and the boss over here is uh, a right-wing family, uh, the Block family, in particular, publisher John Block, 
uh, is uh, a notorious Republican. In fact, his his twin brother also supported Herschel Walker in the most recent campaign down in Georgia, just because of finance records, we can see that. Um, but they're very right wing, but very different from, you know, Pittsburgh. They're just completely out of touch with, with who the people of Pittsburgh are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pittsburgh is a pretty progressive city. I hate to say that being a Cleveland Browns fan, but I, I <laughs> it's very difficult. It's very difficult. So that's why I'm going to move on right now. Let's go to uh, Fort Worth, Texas, and the, the Star-Telegram. This is an interesting story because this company uses a law firm that's based in Cleveland, and that's Jones Day. And, and I have to share with you a story. Jones Day is sitting on a plot of land that used to be the area where the Cleveland Press was published up until 1982. That paper, you know, we had two newspapers in Cleveland up until that time. So now you got a union-busting law firm who was also used by uh, by Donald Trump when he was in the White House. They used a couple lawyers mm-hmm. there. Now they're they're uh, helping out the owners of the Fort Worth Star Telegram. What's what, what's what's uh, what's going on there? So the Fort Worth Star-Telegram is owned by a company called McClatchy, which is uh, also owned by a hedge fund, um, which uh, is unfortunately just popping up, you know, hedge funds owning a vast number of companies. It's just like a a really dark reality for our current moment. Um, And this hedge fund is vicious. Uh, Chatham Asset Management is really hell-bent on uh, keeping wages extremely low uh, to making decisions about people's uh, parental leave based on how they how they get their kid, whether they you know have a pregnancy or adoption, and what kind of pregnancy they have. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 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 really embarrassing. But what we're really focused on is actually making sure people have a living wage, so that they can they can work and live in Fort Worth. And you know we know that's about fifty seven thousand dollars a year to be paid. The Fort Worth Star Telegram is not budging off of their proposal of forty five thousand dollars as a minimum. So for us, like. It's all about being able to live in the community that you report to so that you can actually, right. you know, live with your neighbors. But Jones Day um, is, is completely vicious. I mean, you know, I don't, this, these lawyers are paid, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, probably, you know, uh, more than $1,000 for their hour, um, hourly work. And they're sitting here fighting these award-winning journalists who, you know, can't even afford um, – I mean, they're living paycheck to paycheck, yeah. and it's just wild that they sit there and they fight these these hardworking journalists uh, in Fort Worth, Texas. I was just down there uh, two weeks ago at the start of their strike, so they went on strike uh, just two weeks ago um, over over unfair labor practices and fighting for a living wage. And these people are so brave. And this is in Texas, right? You know, you don't typically know about too much union organizing happening in places like Texas, but three newsrooms unionized about two years ago, and the Fort Worth folks have been bargaining for two years to get a first contract. And this company owned by this hedge fund, McClatchy, is just absolutely hell-bent on fighting journalists. These hedge funds, they've destroyed the middle class in America. They really have. And it's not just the newspaper industry, but but all industries. Very sad, very sad. Newsguild.org is a website I want to drive your attention to. John Schloyce joining us on our live line. He is the president of the News Guild. John, i got to take a break. While we come back, I want to talk about journalistic freedom under attack. Also, Joyce Goldstein will be joining us later in the show to talk about an arbitration case. Back in a few minutes. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrens. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. 
the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. Buildings, bridges, skyscrapers, and more. Structures that are the face of our cities and towns were built by members of the Ironworkers Union. That's why it's important that our workforce of over 130,000 ironworkers continues to be the safest and best trained in the field. With 154 training centers, we invest over $90 million annually in safety and training. We're growing the next generation of union ironworkers. There are so many reasons to put your trust in our ironworkers and their employers. Learn more about us at ironworkers.org. The AFL-CIO is a proud sponsor of America's Workforce Radio. United by efforts to raise wages, listeners to this show and workers all across America are beginning to turn a corner and drive the economic debate. The AFL-CIO is comprised of 12.5 million working people, but we stand with and fight for everyone who is working for a better life. For more information about our Raising Wages agenda, go to AFLCIO.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And don't forget, you can check us out at at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. And when you get an opportunity, just do this. Sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings. So please keep them coming. Let's go back to uh, New York right now. Rejoin John Schloys. John is president of the News Guild, News Guild, CWA, newsguild.org is their website. A lot of strike action going on. He's doing a lot of organizing, and there's always a battle somewhere. John, why don't you explain to our listeners what's going on? Apparently, uh, a judge, and this is a judge that was appointed by Trump some years ago, made a ruling pretty much saying that in a, this is a Starbucks case, you know, Starbucks workers are trying to organize, and they want all the communications between the union and the media. They want all those released. Now, isn't this like a First Amendment issue? What, what the heck's going on here? Yeah, it's, it's, it's wild. Uh, first, <laughs> first, you know, my first job out of uh, high school was to work at a Starbucks in Little Rock, Arkansas. So I have a, like a special like, feeling in my heart for the workers organizing at Starbucks all across the country. They are mm-hmm. so brave to try and make this company better in the face of what is clear, blatant union busting happening at corporate level with Howard Schultz. But what Starbucks is doing now is trying to figure out what the hell is going on. They clearly don't understand how the organizing is spreading like um, fire through the company. Um, and what they're trying to do is, uh, through court action, is to try and get access to all the communication between Starbucks workers and any reporter that those workers have reached out to. Basically trying to figure out and uncover, like, who are the real people who are speaking on behalf of, you know, the unionized workers at Starbucks so that they can go and retaliate and target them, which they've done illegally, repeatedly, to illegally fire these people and harass them. So this judge basically ruled in Starbucks' favor. We see it, obviously, as a violation of uh, workers' rights under uh, for private sector workers under the National Labor Relations Act. That's Section 7. You know, companies mm-hmm. can't spy and surveil their workers. 
Um, so we'd see it as a violation of that, but we also see it as a violation of the First Amendment because at the end of the day, like, we've got to have um, a protection of source material um, in this country. And, and for reporters, like, it's essential that they have the ability to reach out to sources so they can hear directly from the rank and file. But companies shouldn't have the ability to then go get those, those communications and then punish those workers and find out who they are so they can punish them. It's just it's absolutely disgraceful to see what's going on. Yeah, this is a big issue here. Now, in in your opinion, can another judge, I mean, can this go to like an appeals type of process and say, wait a minute, you're going too far? Or is this kind of premature right now to figure that out? Well, what we're doing, first off, was like when we saw this this become public, we just reached immediately out to the, the good folks over at Starbucks Workers United. Um, those people are just amazing. I mean, these are just rank and file workers at Starbucks all across the country, you know, coordinating to build what is a massive fight. So we reached out to them and we are actively coordinating to, to support them on the First Amendment, on the, the protected concerted activity uh, clause under the National Labor Relations Act. And we're just we're just helping them because this is like a clear area where we are not going to support journalist communications being public uh, information uh, by these companies. That's just not okay. That's a violation of the First Amendment uh, and everything that we stand for in this country. And we're not going to support uh, Starbucks, uh, you know, basically violating the privacy of these workers. So so we're, we're coordinating yeah. with them and hope to hope to help them uh, through this process. But, you know, on the specifics, we're kind of having to wait and see exactly yeah. what makes sense. Yeah, this is scary for all labor. It really is. This is one to watch, and I, I thank you for uh, for bringing this to the table today. Uh, one more uh, question here, and we got a couple of minutes left. Organizing every time I talk to you, Mister Schleiss, you're organizing, organizing, organizing. Where are you now with membership in the News Guild nationally? <laughs> we are about twenty seven thousand uh, members, and that's uh, that would include all of our amazing members in Canada uh, and Puerto Rico. So twenty seven thousand total. Um, which which is uh, huge growth <laughs> in the last five years, uh, with about eight thousand three hundred workers joining us in, in that time frame. That's awesome. Well, we're at the end of twenty twenty two, and we talked about all the strikes going on. You're getting a lot of attention. There's got to be some goals you have in mind going into the new year. Um, what what's your take on that, John? Well, I, you know, my my goal is to help every worker unionize. Um, you know, in the News Guild, we represent obviously a ton of media workers, but we also support and represent a lot of folks that are nonprofit or other activist groups. So, you know, for us, it's like, <laughs> I, I want to help every single one of those people in, in those sectors and nonprofit and media and activist groups uh, find a union, whether it's with us or with another great union, um, and, and, and <laughs> try to hit our goals. So this, for this year, we're closing out uh, just shy of 2,000 uh, workers who have joined our union, which is which is another record, another record year. Uh, not as many as last year, but uh, very much a record for for where we stand. So, hoping that we get you know a couple more thousand in next year, and just want to just see everyone unionize, whether it's with us or with their own union or with a different union. Like we just got to organize go. the whole country. Well, they got the right guy at the helm of the News Guild. No doubt about that. John Schleiss, thank you so much, president of the News Guild. Newsguild.org for complete updates. Good luck to you on all that, that strike action, and we'll talk in the new year. Okay, buddy? All right. Thanks so much for having me. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Joyce Goldstein will be joining us. 
A workplace injury claim does not have to be resolved through arbitration. That story coming up next. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with Lyuna. Find out what it takes for Lyuna to keep America running at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at boydwatterson.com. The Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast, AWF Union Podcast. And if you like a show, please share that show. We like to grow our audience, our sponsors like that. And uh, this show, hard to believe, will be 30 years running next year. 30 years running. 1993 is when the show started. I've been hosting it for 25 of those years next year and very proud to do that. Well, I'll tell you, there's one word in organized labor that scares a whole lot of people, and that's the word arbitration. Hmm. Well, got a really good story here. And joining us is Joyce Goldstein of Joyce Goldstein and Associates. She's always good at dissecting decisions, whether they're good, they're bad or ugly. It doesn't matter. JoyceGoldsteinLaw.com is the website. And this involves a case in the state of Ohio involving an injured employee who does not have to go through arbitration before suing his employer. This is according to a 4-3 to three decision by the Supreme Court of Ohio and involves the local Teamsters Union. Joyce Goldstein, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show, and I know you've been tearing into this thing. I, I have to hear your take on this because, like I said, arbitration could be a dirty word, so go ahead. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, and congratulations almost on uh, 30 years and 25 of those. Uh, that's great. That's a great record. Thank you. Um, it's, it's terrific. So, yes. So this case that you've mentioned, it's called Finley versus Safety Controls Technology and Superior Dairy. The decision that came out of the Ohio Supreme Court uh, on November 23rd, so very recently. And the facts of the case were Pretty simple, but very sad. Uh, An employee named Stephen Finley was employed by Superior Dairy in the Canton, Ohio area. 
Superior removed a safety mechanism from a grinding machine. Mr. Sinley, who is a maintenance, did maintenance work at the plant, um, he was directed to perform maintenance on this particular machine in May of 2019, the machine that had the safety mechanism removed from it. While he was working on the machine, uh, the machine was reactivated. And it wouldn't have happened, he alleged, if the safety mechanism hadn't been removed. But because it had been deliberately removed and his supervisor then had the machine reactivated, um, the grinding machine proceeded to amputate four of his fingers. Oh, my. So it was really awful, awful uh, situation. And so he uh, he sued under Ohio law. Um, he personally sued individually for uh, the intentional tort of, um, you know, against his employer for intentionally harming him. And the employer tried to get out of the case by saying that the only remedy that Mr. Sinley had was to go to arbitration under his collective bargaining agreement. And so the question that was presented in the case is whether an employee who alleged that he was intentionally injured at work could personally, individually sue his employer on his own, or whether his only recourse was to have his union file a grievance on his behalf under the collective bargaining agreement and then go to arbitration. And as you pointed out, the holding in the case was that was in his favor. The court in a four to three decision ruled uh, that he could go to court on his own and assert his personal injury claim under state law and under Ohio law, and that he could sue for damages, and he did not have to uh, defer to his union grieving and arbitrating uh, the the matter. Um, The Ohio Supreme Court said that the courts would only be close to him or others like him, and and they would only be forced to arbitration only, only, only if the collective bargaining agreement had a clear and unmistakable waiver, which this contract didn't have. Uh, The court said that if individual rights were going to be waived, like the ability to directly sue an employer for an intentional injury, that the collective bargaining agreement needed to clearly identify that those rights were being waived. So uh, it's significant. And, you know, one of the things in this decision that, you know, goes to your point about arbitration, the decision doesn't actually even talk about why this is such a big deal. Um, But it's a really big deal because if the employee was forced to only arbitrate his claim, his damages would really be limited because, mm-hmm. and you know, where you have a grievance under a, a collective bargaining agreement that goes to arbitration, the typical remedy is back pay. And, you know, damages are limited. And keep in mind, you know, if there hadn't been an allegation of an intentional injury, um, we wouldn't have even had any of the facts here because, Ohio law already prevents lawsuits for ordinary workplace injuries. People just get workers' comp for that. So here, this only is coming up, not because there was just a workplace injury, but because there was an allegation of an intentional injury by, you know, deliberately removing the safety uh, feature from this machine, which then resulted in, in this terrible injury for him. And, 
if he was allowed to go forward with his personal injury claim, which the court says he can do, then he gets a whole he has the ability anyway to at least prove that he's entitled to a lot more damages. He could get compensation for his pain, his physical pain and suffering, the mental pain and suffering, the loss of enjoyment of life, you know, the whole panoply of damages that are available in a personal injury case that are just simply not available if a matter was arbitrated. Mm-hmm. And, and the other thing that, you know, that I think is significant about it, too, that isn't mentioned is that if the court were to find otherwise in this case, what it would have found was that non-union employees who don't have a collective bargaining agreement would have greater rights than union employees who are covered by a collective bargaining agreement. And just turning the world upside down in that way just doesn't even make any sense. I mean, obviously, the protections that union workers have under their contract should be greater than those that non-union workers have when they don't have a contract. And mm-hmm. uh, so I and I think it's not a, you know, an accident, of course, that the um, decision in this case, too, as, as you had mentioned, was a 4-3 decision. Um, in the Ohio Supreme Court, the decision was written by Justice Jennifer Bruner, writing on behalf of four of the justices. And there was a dissent in the case that was written by Justice Sharon Kennedy on behalf of the three Republican justices that are often in the anti-worker and um, wing of the Ohio Supreme Court. And... Um, And interestingly, too, those two, the writer of the majority decision in this case, Justice Bruner, um, lost to Justice Kennedy uh, in the recent election for Supreme Court justice uh, in Ohio. So uh, for the chief justice. And so anyway, but had uh, the about to be chief justice, uh, Sharon Kennedy, prevailed uh, in her reasoning here, as I said, it would have resulted in uh, limitation on damages that would have been available to this injured worker. And it also would have sent a message that union workers have less rights than non-union workers. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. If this happened in another month and that four to three, we'd gone the other way. Clearly, clearly the swing vote on this one was the chief justice, the current chief justice, Maureen O'Connor, who sided with the three Democrats there. You know, what's baffling about this whole thing, Joyce, is the removal of the electronic safety mechanism. Why? I mean, why would you? It's there for a reason. Why would you do that? And then they reactivated the machine without the safety device. What do you think is going to happen in something like this? That's just amazing to me in a in itself i i just don't get it i don't get it uh i'm just wondering here too do you think i mean you've been doing labor law for a long time the very fact that something like this was not in a collective bargaining agreement i i don't know if that would be something that they would reconsider going down the road because of of accidents like this is that something that could be modified or i'm sure the employers would fight that tooth and nail but what's your opinion on that yeah, well, in this particular case, the employer had already been sued in another case 
prior to this, unrelated to this, and uh, and and tried to argue there that that employee in that other case didn't have a right to go to court and that they should be limited to just uh, arbitration. And so because of that, the employer deliberately inserted particular language in, you know, or, or proposed and, and succeeded in getting um, particular language in this contract with the Teamsters, but uh, which, you know, which said that certain statutory rights of employees' individual rights were waived, and those matters would have to be arbitrated under the contract. Um, but the Ohio Supreme Court here said, no, 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 that, that, you know, those were waived, but this particular right involving intentional injuries uh, in the workplace, that that was not waived. And because it wasn't explicitly enumerated, the employer couldn't prevail in its argument. So I wouldn't be surprised if this employer or other employers tried to carve out um, more exceptions under their collective bargaining agreements to try to get waivers of individual rights. And I also think it's important to understand what we're not talking about here. And what we're not talking about are rights that are created by the collective bargaining agreement. We're talking about individual rights that are created outside of it. So specifically, if somebody, let's say someone is fired from their job and the, the collective bargaining agreement says you can only be fired for just cause, that would be something that if somebody's then fired with arbitrary without just cause, the union grieves it, it goes to arbitration. That's a violation, an alleged violation of the contract. Here, what we're talking about is a right that was created outside of the contract, which is a right that people have, just ordinary citizens have, to sue other people who intentionally injure them. And what's being argued here is that there was a waiver of that right that all people would have to be protected from intentional injuries against them. What you just heard, ladies and gentlemen, is 40 years of experience in the courtroom <laughs> in labor law. I'm so glad we brought you to the table on this one. This was a good one to talk about. Joyce Goldstein, Joyce Goldstein and Associates. She represents public and private unions, fringe benefit funds, employees in construction, industrial service, and professional sectors. I want to give the uh, main number here. It's 216-771-6633. 216-771-6633. And uh, JoyceGoldsteinLaw.com is the uh, the website. You take care. Always a pleasure. And we'll do this again in a month, okay? All right. Thank you, Flash. And that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Coming up on Monday, we're going to check in with the IBEW in Florida. That would be Local 756 and the Allied Pilots Association. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful weekend. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening. And be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.